0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I titled my lesson, Refusing to Fade. We're going to talk for a few moments about the rise and the fall of King Solomon. Now, it doesn't happen very often, uh, but occasionally we'll be, you know, uh, watching the news, going through the internet, whatever the case may be, we'll come across um, stories that tell us about a plane that has crashed. Um, any time that we read stories of these, naturally they catch our attention, right? They're, they're always very devastating news. We never want to hear of any time that a plane goes down. Um, you know, I don't know how many of us have, have rode in a, 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 you know, a plane before, but even if you haven't, a lot of us get the general idea of, of how nerve-wracking it can be, right? You're climbing into this large metal tube going 20,000 some odd feet in the air, 300 miles an hour. So naturally when one goes down, it's gonna catch our attention. And as you'd imagine, when one goes down, this is usually some of the scenes that you'll see, right? Usually there's not very much left. There's just debris, there's wreckage, there's just metal. A lot of times there's, there's not very many survivors, right? So they're just very devastating times. Well, something that I found interesting about plane crashes, I was, came across an article a while back, and, and one of the things that I found is one of the first things um, that cleanup crews or authorities do at the site of a plane crash is they try to find that little black box. And if you don't know what I'm talking about is every plane has this what seems to be indestructive box that contains all of the data that helps them tell what happened to that plane right it helps them answer two very important questions what happened to the plane to to, you know cause it to crash and what can they do in the future to help prevent this from happening again you could argue those are probably two of the most important questions most people want to know when you know they're investigating a plane crash and this morning we're going to kind of do that and i use this illustration because we're going to look at that little black box in the life of Solomon. We're going to look at some of the things that you know led to his fall as king of Israel um, and hopefully learn from some of his mistakes and hopefully not do some of the things um, that he did as well. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, for whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Likewise in first Corinthians chapter 10 In verse 11 he also says, Now all these things happened to them as examples that were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So just like the the rest of the Old Testament, the Old Scriptures that was written for our learning and our understanding, you know, that's what we're going to do with Solomon. We're going to look at some of the the highlights of his life. We're going to look at some of the things that he had going for him. This was a man who had at one point had things really going right. He was a, you know, considered very godly, a guy that feared God. Um, he had a lot of uh, positive attributes as you know, kind of the beginning of his reign of king. Um, but as we'll see here shortly, he also had a very devastating fall um, and a kind of a tragic, probably end to his reign as king. In 1 Kings chapter um, 11. In verse 6, it says, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully, fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab and the hill that is at the east of Jerusalem, and for Melech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. So here we kind of see a picture of a a kind of a tragic scene, right? Um, Ultimately it was saying that Solomon did a lot of evil. Um, he disobeyed god he didn't fully follow god and so as a result god tore the kingdom away from him he punished him um and you know again this was a guy who we mentioned had things going for him so that's going to be really the million dollar question that we're going to kind of study this morning is, is how did this happen right how did the guy who had such a great and promising start as king end up here right end up falling crashing Leaving debris all over his life in the kingdom that he reigned. That's what we're going to try um, to look at this morning for just a few short moments. And to do that, I want—I mentioned, you know, a few times. Solomon had a lot of great things going for him, so I want to look at the start. Right? You know, what what are some of the things that Solomon had going for him it kind of got him going in the right direction? The first thing that you can find from Scripture is that Solomon had a great dad. Now, I hope everyone here is in agreement with this. Uh, next statement, but fathers are very important in the raising of their children. Um, you can go online and you could do all the the, the different research um, yourself to find the statistics. But you know the the the, the fact of the matter is that uh, the increase of biological father in the homes have increased nearly 300 percent in the last 50 years, right? And and I believe very strongly in my heart that some of the negative consequences. Um, and impacts that may or may not happen to children as they're being raised are a direct result in this statistic, right? So fathers are very important um, in the raising of their children. However, you could argue that Solomon really didn't have this problem. You know, Solomon had a great dad. His dad was David, the King David, the anointed king of Israel. Now, sure, David had his fair share of mistakes. David was not a perfect man. He made some very uh, devastating sins in his life. And if you, you know, there's certain things we could uh, try to judge him on, but really at the end, this is kind of you know God's um, statement about David. It said in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, it says when he had removed him, he raised him up from David as king, to whom he also gave, or to also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Later on in that same chapter, it says for David after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. So even though David was a broken man and he made his fair share of mistakes, God still um, said that he was a man after his own heart. He was a man who uh, loved God, he followed God, um, and that's who Solomon's dad was. You could uh, also argue that when David handed over the king to Israel of uh, Israel to Solomon, that the kingdom was in a pretty good shape all things considered they were a kingdom that was finally united under one flag they were they were uh, somewhat financially sound they had a very powerful and respected military force you know they really had things kind of going on the up and up so you you know the history of the the children of israel um, just kind of how they sort of had that roller coaster they had their highs and their lows well you could argue that when david was passing off this kingdom to solomon that they were kind of on the uptick. They they had one of their, uh, on their way to having one of those highs. So we know that Solomon had a great dad. We also know that we can read that Solomon received great advice. So after defeating um, lions and bears and Goliath and Saul and the Philistines, David eventually, at the end of his life, uh, was faced with something that he couldn't defeat, which was his own death. And so towards the end of his life, one of the last things that he wanted to do before he passed on is he called in Solomon and wanted to pass on some, some words of wisdom um, shortly before he died. In 1 Kings chapter 2, um, in verse 1, it says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that ye may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that, Lord, that the Lord may fulfill His word, which He spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, and all their heart, and all their soul, He said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. You know that's some pretty you know, I, don't, I don't know if it's his last words but you know some pretty great advice towards the end of his life that uh, David is passing on to his son. In summary he's basically telling his son Solomon to, to learn to God, know God intimately to worship and serve Him with your whole heart to seek Him be strong act like a man. You know just all things aside you know I could argue that this is some just very good godly wisdom that any parent or any grandparent should be trying to strive to, to pass on to our children, right? I think if we can do this same thing, if we don't teach our children anything else, if we could teach them some of these things or pass on some of these words of advice that uh, David did to Solomon towards the end of his life, I think that's at least started in the right direction, right? This is some very good sound advice from his father just right before he passed on. We also read that Solomon made a great request. So the Bible tells us that after Solomon became king, he went to Gibeon to, to offer sacrifices to God. and the Bible tells us that he offered over a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord, and the Lord was pleased and so the Lord appeared to him one, one night and, and told Solomon that he was pleased and that to, to ask if anything that he wanted and God was going to give it to him which I think that's just what have been a, kind of a cool thing to experience, right? You always play the game. If God asks you, you can have anything you want, you know, what would you like to wish for? <laughs> you know, I, I can promise you one thing that, I, I don't know, I just don't feel like I would have been mature enough to ask for the thing that Solomon did. I feel like I would have naturally you know, asked for more money or a longer life or to defeat all my enemies. But this is what Solomon asked for. In, in chapter 3 of 1 Kings and verse 6, It says, And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child, and I do not know how to go out or come in. And the servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too numerous to be numbered and counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And what an incredibly wise and mature thing to ask for. Solomon realized, or I think was starting to realize, the task that he was given, right? This is a man who was taking over for his very popular and and powerful rock star dad, uh, from what I could tell, Solomon wasn't much older than probably 17 or 18 at the time. He was a child by most standards, taking over this powerful, large um, king kingdom. You know, and so he was you know, taking over for his dad, David. Um, eventually, we'll read here in a second, that he was going to be tasked with building um, God's temple. And so I'd have to believe that David was probably starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed. right? And so the thing that he asked for God for was, was wisdom. For discernment, to be able to help judge his people and to be able to, um, you know, discern between good and evil, and be a good godly king. You know, and that's exactly what God gave him. God unloaded this this huge database of wisdom, so much so that you could argue that David was, or not David, Solomon was the wisest man, maybe besides Christ, to ever walk this earth. You could you could say that he literally was the smartest guy in every room. So. That's what Solomon asked for. He could have had anything in the world, and he asked for wisdom. He asked for a discerning heart to help judge his people. Solomon also completed a great project. I just mentioned a second ago that Solomon was the guy who God chose to be responsible for building his temple. Now, this temple was—it's um, always been on my bucket list of things in the Bible that I wish I could have been alive to see just looking through and reading of the details that went into building this temple. This was a a magnificent piece of architecture, a a project that took um, nearly uh, seven years to complete. I believe it was completed about the 11th year of of his reign as king. And the Bible goes into a lot of detail on the very specifics of, of what was required to go in and to build this temple. And I'm not going to go into all of those for, for time's sake, but there was one interesting thing that I found when I was studying this. Um, the Bible tells us that there's an estimated 100,000 talents of gold went into to building this temple, right? So I started doing some basic math. One talent is roughly about 75 pounds or so. So that says that there's about 7.5 million pounds of gold went into building this temple, or 120 million ounces, the reason I went all the way far, all the way, is breaking out to ounces of gold is because I was looked up the, the modern day price of gold per ounce, and it's roughly about 200 or 2,042 dollars per ounce today. And so, in today's dollars, that would have been about 245 billion dollars worth of gold that went into building this this building, which to me is just a mind-blowing stat that this was gold that went into just the building, the walls, and, and the ceilings, and the, the statues, and just all of the, the things that went into this temple, that's that's a lot of gold. You know, and the thing is, is that that's not even what made this thing the most special. You know, the thing that made this temple, this this building, this ar- piece of architecture so special is because this is where God's presence was ultimately going to dwell. This was a permanent structure, right? They were done, having to... You know, tear down and rebuild the tabernacle like they've been having to do. This was a permanent um, place of, of worship. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, and verse 7, it says, Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark should be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they cannot be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the tablets which Moses uh, put there at Horeb. And the Lord made a covenant with, with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions and to the Levites who were singers and all those Asif and Hermon and Judith and their sons and their brethren stood at the east of the altar clothed in white linen having cymbals stringed instruments and harps and with 120 priests sounding the trumpets indeed it came to pass when the trumpeteers and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in the praising and the thanking of the Lord. And when they had lifted up their voices with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music, they praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. This is a scene of the temple this being dedicated, right? It was completed after all those years and all those that, you know, thousands of men that put in their, their hard-earned work and labor to building this place. It was finally dedicated and I would imagine that 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 dedication ceremony probably would have been one of the the greatest celebrations ever at the time. So this was a, a very big milestone or a very big achievement that Solomon was able to help kind of sort of accomplish as he was king over Israel. Something else that we'll read is you can see that Solomon had a great prayer life. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I like to look at the different men and the different women in the Bible and try to model some of my prayer life after them, right? There's some things, you look at Jesus, you can look at Paul, um, you know, there's others people that, that had some very eloquent prayers, right? And I like to look at just some of the things, like their mindset, some of the characteristics about those prayers, and to try to do my best to, to mirror my own prayer life after that. And something that I don't know if I ever really connected, but you know, one of the things I was studying about Solomon is he had a pretty, he had some pretty um, great prayers that were recorded in Scripture as well, um, and after studying him a little bit more in depth, you know this is. I think I'm going to start putting Solomon at kind of my list of people that I need to try to do my best to model some of my prayer life after. Now there was a just a small snippet um, on First Kings chapter eight of one of the prayers that he had recorded here in verse 22 says, "Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven." And he said, God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all of your hearts. You have kept your, uh, you have kept your promised who what? sorry, you kept what you promised your servant David, my father, who have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you have promised your servant David my father saying you shall not fall or fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me that's just a kind of a snippet of one of the prayers that that Solomon prayed after that temple was dedicated right and there's many more that I you find all throughout kind of first um second kings um and I encourage you to you know if you're exercising or you're doing that exercise to try to study Uh, People's prayer lives to to look at some of the things that Solomon prayed about and kind of why he was praying about them to kind of help sort of uh, Help model our own prayer lives after him We also know that Solomon wrote three great books of scriptures Most people would agree that he was the primary author of of Proverbs Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, you know, so um, a lot of books that we still study today uh, that were inspired by the, you know, the Spirit to to be written. You know, in Proverbs chapter three and verse five, you know, it says, "Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path." So again, the wisest man, the second wisest man to ever walk on the face of the earth, was chosen to kind of be in, help be inspired to write some of the pieces of Scripture that we still study to this day. So, you know, it's it's hard to to see. You know, but Solomon had a lot of great things going for him. You know, he was a, a, just had such a promising start. You know, we mentioned he had a great dad. He received great advice. Um, He made a great request. He built the temple. He had a great prayer life. He wrote books of the Bible. So how could a man that we're, you know, we've been talking about so far this morning, that had just everything going for him, crash and burn, so, you know, devastating the way that, that he did. And that's what we're going to look at next is, is the crash, right? What what happened? You know, I think one thing that I sort of thought about as I was studying this and the dynamics between some of the, the two um, parts of his life is, you know, it does sometimes it doesn't matter necessarily how good you start something, but it's about how you finish. You know, and I think a lot of times, whether that be something we're doing in life or whether it's, our, it's our, our spiritual walk with God. You know, a good start is, is necessary, right? You have, to, you have to get started somewhere. But a lot of times, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish. You know, I'm a, I like to watch a lot of sports. I'm a pretty big fanatic when it comes to sports. and So I could give you examples and examples over the years about sports teams or players who started a game or started a season very hot, very well, but then ended up, you know, just blowing it off at the end. You know, they lost a game or they lost a, a season or, or did something, a championship, because they didn't finish, right? The, the old saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And that's a lot of ways um, what I feel like Solomon struggled with here. Is he, yeah, he had a great start, but, you know, did he finish as strong as he could have? And something else that I thought about is, is you know, a lot of times these crashes, you know, these spiritual crashes that we talk about or that we look at in the Bible, a lot of times these don't happen just all, out of a sudden, right? No one... Um, including Solomon, I don't believe, just woke up one day and said, you know, I'm going to make a decision that I'm, I'm, today I'm going to ruin my life or I'm going to ruin my career or my family or my spiritual walk." That just doesn't happen out of the blue. A lot of times these crashes are, happens over time. It happens because a series of decisions, poor choices, um, uh, you know, things, a series of events that eventually just over time lead you to kind of fall away further and further away before too long, you know, you're, you're crashing and burning. And, I... and so for the rest of this, our time this morning, I want to look at some of the things that didn't go so hot for Solomon's life and, and the sole effort to not necessarily judge him critically because as we'll probably see a lot of us are guilty of some of the very same things that Solomon did but we're going to look at some of his flaws some of the things that led to this crash so like I mentioned before we can learn from them and hopefully don't follow in his footsteps we don't make those same mistakes that Solomon did that we're going to look at here in a second and the first thing is that I wrote is don't leave wiggle room in your commitment to God Um, I think Solomon did this a lot during his reign as king and one of the examples that we read of is there in verse Kings chapter 3 in verse 3 it says "And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David except now if you're familiar with scripture a lot of times if there's something good followed by this word except or followed by the word but usually it's going to be preceded by something negative right it doesn't really matter what we say next is Yes, yeah, Solomon loved God. He he followed after him except that he sacrificed and burned incense to the high places. You know, he compromised his um, his walk with God. He he built, he offered sacrifices in these high places. These were high places that God or that the children of Israel sometimes would go to offer to these pagan and false gods. They were places that God told his uh, the children there to, to destroy completely. Yet we still see Solomon, you know, sacrificing and burning incense to these places in in spite of that. So Solomon, he loved God, and he followed God, except what he didn't, you know. Guys, I I dare you to try that later today when you go home to your spouses or loved ones and say, you know, sweetheart, you know, I love you, I promise to be faithful to you, except let me know how that works out you know it's it's kinda what I imagine was going on with here with Solomon is yeah he was on one hand promising to follow God but on the completely other hand expected to, to do the exact opposite of what he expected you know, I heard, I heard a preacher say one time that 90 percent devotion to God is 10 percent too short and, you know you'd be saying well 90 percent that is that's pretty good I know for me back in school I would have taken 90 percent all day every day <laughs> you know but when it comes to the devotion to God he doesn't want our 90%. He doesn't want our 95%. You know, if you were about to have a major um, a major operating procedure, right? You're about to have a surgery, um, and they were had you all prepped up, and they're rolling you back to the operating room, and you pass by a sign that says all of our instruments are 90% sterile. <laughs> I don't know if it was you, but I'd be hopping off that table, so you call me back when they're 100% sterile, right? I'm, I'm not going to risk my life or health on you know 90 percent when it comes to that and that in a lot of ways that's again that's just how God feels towards us about our devotion to him you know Solomon thought that you know it was gonna be okay to give God his 90 percent his 80 percent and that was enough just to let a few spiritual germs come in and ultimately wreck his life and leaving a a very devastating crash so the question you need to ask yourself is are you following God with an exception clause Billy Bob, he loved God. He followed God. except. You need know, to ask ourselves that and be honest. Something else is we need to make sure that we're not, uh, don't assume that you're the exception to the rules. And, you know, we've already talked about um, a lot that Solomon was a very smart guy. One of the wisest guys to ever walk on the earth. So I have to believe that Solomon knew what God expected of him. And I have to believe that Solomon, because of that, knew that obeying God was going to result in blessings and disobeying God was going to result in destruction. I just, I don't see how that could ever not be. But it seemed there still to be, even if Solomon did know all of that, there still seemed to be some disconnection, right? Because there are a lot of examples. I'm going to note here a few just just to visualize it for you. But there's a lot of examples where Solomon is, you know, it's recorded of him doing the exact opposite of what God expected of you know, the children of Israel and the kings at the time. One example here is in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 16. Something that God commanded his kings at the time. It says, But he shall not multiply horses for himself, <clears throat> nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, You shall not return that way. Well, What you see what Solomon did 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 26 says, And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. Well, where do you think Solomon got all those horses? You go back and look, he got them at Egypt, where God told his kings not to go back to. Another example, and there, back in, flipping back over to Deuteronomy 17 and 17, it says, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his tart be turned away well we'll see what happened to um, Solomon there in 1st Kings 11 it says but the King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh women of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Sidians and the Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel you shall not intermarry with them nor they with you surely they will turn your hearts after God and Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Probably one of the, a more black and white example. God said don't marry, intermarry with these foreign women. Solomon did, and as a result, it happened exactly what God predicted, that they were going to turn his heart away. In Deuteronomy 17 and 17, it says also says, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. Well, we see what happened is, it says, the weight of the gold came to Solomon yearly with 626 talents of gold. Uh, it says, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which are in the low So again, these are just a, a couple examples of you know, a, a direct um, opposition of what happened to some of the commands that God very strictly gave his children of Israel. Or the kings there, specifically. So we need to make sure that we're not, um, that we're not feeling like we're the exception to the rules, right? If we, we kind of fall into the same trap, well, yeah, I know what God expects of me. He expects me to, to love my wife as Christ loved the church. He expects me to forgive those who hurt others. He expects me to control my tongue, to share my faith. To help those in need, but I think to myself, well, actually, I think you know, God will be okay if I don't do it this one time. Or, no, that that particular command—that's that, talking about so and so. He's he's not talking to me there, right? Me, being able to, to be true to ourselves and don't assume that we're the exception to one to one of God's commands. Don't go looking for meaning in all the wrong places. You know, we've already talked about you know, towards the end of, end of his life you know, some of his writings in Ecclesiastes, we see that Solomon seemed to be a man who was struggling to find a sense of purpose in his life. He was a guy that was struggling to find happiness, contentment, which kind of led me to think, why, right? How did, how did the, the, the wisest man to ever walk on the earth be struggling to find the true sense of purpose in his life? You know, I don't claim to really know the full answer to that, uh, but you know, I kind of thought of maybe a, a side reason um, as I was studying him a little bit more in depth, of maybe what led to this kind of um, uncontentment or this discontentment is—you know—I was thinking about the first 11 years of as he, as Solomon was king, he was given a very clear-cut purpose, right? His his mission that God gave to him primarily during that first part of his reign was to build his temple, and Solomon did that. He was laser-focused, and he he you know built that that magnificent structure that we talked about a second ago the problem is is that Solomon reigned for another twenty-nine or thirty years after the temple was completed so I, I don't know if this is true but I like to think that maybe there was something to Solomon once he completed that that great project that God tasked him to do that after that he was like well now what right what, what, what I gotta do now I gotta find something else that I'm gonna find purpose in and, and rather than turning to God and, you know, from where he found that first sense of purpose of building a temple, he tried taking matters into his own hands and tried to find purpose through a bunch of different worldly avenues. Uh, we see that he tried to find purpose in education. In Ecclesiastes, in verse 1, it said, or chapter 1 in verse 17, he says, And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping from the wind. He tried finding it through pleasure. So I said in my heart, Come now, I will test You with mirth therefore enjoy my pleasure but surely this was also vanity try finding it through alcohol so I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine by his accomplishments I made myself or I made my works great and I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards by his possessions so yes I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of the king and the, pro- and the, the provinces. And that list looks eerily similar, right, to, to some of the things that I think we struggle with. We, when we start to stray away from God's word and his purpose and his will for our lives, you know, we try to find a sense of contentment, a sense of satisfaction. A lot of times this is some of the things that we turn to. So what makes you think that if the wisest man to ever walk the earth struggled to find contentment and purpose through these things, who had probably all of these things, more so than any of us here will ever have in our lifetime combined, if he couldn't find that purpose or that satisfaction, what makes you think that we're going to? You know, The Bible tells us there's only one place that we're going to find that that true sense of purpose and satisfaction, and that's through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, Jesus said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. That's where you're going to find that true sense of purpose. That's where you're going to try and satisfaction and contentment that's going to last internally. Next, don't fail to address areas of struggle. If you think about our own lives, you know, we do some self-examining, you know. Is there a, a specific sin or maybe a specific sin problem that you struggle with, maybe more so than some of the other things, right? We all have our, our weaknesses. We all have the, our individual temptations and the things that maybe we just can't seem to shake. You know, Solomon did. Solomon, like his dad, um, David, had a problem with women. He, he liked them a lot, too much, specifically foreign women, right? He had, I don't know how many combined thousands of of wives and concubines and princesses. The problem is, is I believe, again, Solomon knew what he was doing was wrong. I believe that Solomon knew what God had to say about marriage and who he could marry and who he shouldn't and the, the consequences of that. Yet we still see Solomon doing that sin. He kept doing what God is telling him not to which is you kind of wants you just to just shake them and say, why, right? It's, it's so black and white. Sometimes I think, and I'm, maybe I'm speaking myself here more than you, but if you can relate, that's great too. But I feel like sometimes I try to underestimate the power that sin can have on our lives, right? I think as Christians, there's a certain aspect where we need to have confidence in our faith confidence in our salvation because of God's grace right there's nothing that we can do in this life that's too great for God to forgive us and sometimes and you need to have confidence in that and sometimes I think I have too much confidence in that to where I like to downplay how powerful sin can be the the truth is is sin can is a very difficult thing to shake you know I know that's new news to everybody here right we're all once we became Christians we no longer struggle with sin and we're perfect human beings of course not. You know, we, we struggle, and we're going to struggle to the day that we pass on this earth. And it's because of how powerful sin is. It can grab us. It won't let us go. A lot of times what we, when we're participating in sin, most of the time we know what we're doing is wrong, right? There's that little bug in the back of our ear. You know, there's that, maybe that very guilty feeling in the in our gut of our stomach that we know what we're doing is wrong. We know there's going to be consequences for that sin. There's maybe even black and white examples in our life of people who are engaged in some of those same sinful activities, and we can see the consequences right in front of our eyes, yet we still keep diving in. We still keep eating that forbidden fruit. We just got to keep asking ourselves why. How could we see someone and see consequences of the sin that we're participating in lay out in front of us and think it's going to be any different for us? Spiritual strength, I believe very strongly, is not simply knowing just knowing the will of God but it's about doing it as well you know we talk about uh, oftentimes about the importance of being a doer of God's word and a hearer and not just a hearer only and I think one of the reasons we talk about that so much is because it's there's just so much truth to that statement you know in a lot of ways you know if you're just going to be a hearer of God's word only you're going to come here and to, a, to an assembly and listen to God's Word being taught. if you're going to go home and you're just going to merely read God's Word, but not put any of it into practice, not actually do any of it, then ar- you could argue that maybe we're not so different than just an unbeliever. You know, maybe we're not so much different than an atheist. You know An atheist can go and they can read words from a page, right? That, that right by itself is not going to make us any different. The thing that makes us Christians different than an unbeliever, or to a heathen is because is that we are encouraged to actually put into practice what we read. We're put into practice what we are being taught from God's word. That one that's what makes us different. That's what separates the you know, the, the mature from the babes. And I feel like Solomon maybe struggled with this more than, than most, is that he knew what God expected of him, but he just didn't actually put any of it into practice. <clears throat> Lastly, don't ignore God's corrective words from God. In First Kings chapter six and verse, chapter nine and verse six, it says, "But if you, but if you and your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and, and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given to them." And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out in my sight um, Israel. and will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has God done thus to this land and to the, this house? And they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who fought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and embrace other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. So we see that you know, Solomon or God appeared to Solomon on multiple occasions and gave him these very stern, black and white warnings: If you do not do what I command you, if you do not follow in my statutes, there will be consequences. The kingdom will be torn away from you. You know your descendants will, you know, suffer some of the consequences. Yet. Solomon just—it seems to me—it's obvious that Solomon um, ignored some of these corrective words from God. You know, I like to—you you know, want if you want to go back and even compare him to maybe the to his father David, right? When David was confronted with his sins, uh, with Bathsheba, and 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 the other things that he committed, you know, a lot of the times that we see or how we see that David reacted to that is eventually when he was confronted. Um, by certain people, he David cried out. You know, he pleaded with God. He understood that, hey, what I did was wrong. I messed up. Please, God, whatever it takes, forgive me. You know, I, I'm so sorry. I, I you know, you're, I need you. And you know, it's unclear if it's unclear if Solomon ever had that same um, reaction to some of the sins that he was uh, confronted with. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us if he ever repented. Um, I kind of have my doubts, but, you know, I, it's just unclear. But if that's, if that's how, if this is how Solomon's life ended, right, if he never repented, if he never came back, it's a very tragic ending To against such a promising start that he had and all the things that he had going for him. I'm going to leave you with this passage that we read often from Solomon himself. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in verse 13, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. At one point in Solomon's life, I think he got it. You know, I think that this is what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live our lives, the kind of the attitude, some of the mindsets that we should have is understanding that fearing God and keeping His commandments—that is our whole duty. There's nothing else on life should, in our life, should matter more than this statement right here. Solomon got that. You know, I don't want Solomon's story at the end of the day to be your story. I don't want it to be mine. I don't want maybe someday one of you attending my funeral and then thinking, you know, Billy Bob, man, that guy, he he had such a great thing going for him, right? He was such a godly man. He attended church. He, he, you know, shared the gospels with others. He he had so many things going for him. But, you know, I just don't know what happened, right? He just stopped coming to church. He stopped becoming a Christian. He stopped doing what God commanded to him. I don't know what happened. Right? That's, that's not how any of us want to be remembered. Let's remember to not leave wiggle room in our commitment to God. Right? Let's remember to finish strong. It's not about how we start. We need to have a good start, but making sure that we keep that same zeal, we keep that same uh, passion for spreading the gospel that we did when we first became a Christian. The lessons you all this morning, I really do, again, appreciate the, the opportunity to share God's word with you. Um, I hope it you know, benefited you in, in some way, in some way that maybe you can help go and spread his good news to others this week as well. Um, we never want to close, though, without offering an invitation. And so if you're here and you've never been a Christian and would like to be baptized, we'd like to assist you with that today. Or if you would like the, the prayers of the church. Uh, for whatever reason, we'd like to assist you with that as well. If you need either one of these, please come forth and sit on the front row as we stand and sing the song selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.